0: Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans 12? We will scratch the surface a little bit today with what God calls love. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 says, So in everything that you do, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And then he says, in doing so, everything from the law and prophets hangs on this. Everything that we do, our talents, our skills, the things that we do hang in the balance as to whether or not we love. We're going to hear that love is a sacrifice today. We're going to hear that if we can do everything but love, that we are a failure. Um, We're going to hear that God in a person brings love out of a person and that without that it is impossible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, help us to uh, absorb your word into our, our minds and into our lives today. Help us to be like your son, to love and to serve and to sacrifice for the benefit of others, in Jesus' name, amen. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to pick up our text in verse 9. We've talked about in verse 1, being a living sacrifice. Verse 2, learning who and how you are and how you are equipped to serve and to love people in your church. We learn in verses th- verse 3 that um, our humility... Opens the door, allows us to serve him. Um, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but in sober judgment, to look at ourselves in the mirror honestly and to understand who we are and, and how we are placed in a body of believers. Verses 4 and 5, he says that we belong to each other. So we belong to God. He purchased us at the cross. We belong to him, John 1:12 when we believe in and follow his son, and then we belong to each other immediately. We're, we're not saved to be saved, we're, we're saved to be servants in church. And Paul is going to talk to us today, and like I said, we're going to just look at a few verses in scripture. It will seem like a lot, but it's because love is throughout the, the Bible. Um, without love, nothing is possible. With love, everything is possible. Um, We are equipped to love. The Holy Spirit in us allows love to come from us. Paul is going to explain to us that that everything is wrapped in love or everything is nothing today. Verse 9, Paul says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So that's the arena of love. He is putting this overlay that is going to encapsulate everything that he talks about today, everything that Jesus talks about, that um, in love we're to cling to what is good and we're hate what is evil. That's love, Paul says. That's what God in us does if we allow him to do it. So he, he is in us for the purpose of us loving others. It must be sincere. It must be the things that he's going to tell us to do today, command after command. I think in just about four verses we're going to look at today, there's about 13 commands. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, you can look at these four verses. You can see these 14 things that God tells us to do. And Paul says, as you go into it, be sincere. In other words, take one of these commands Love what is good, hate what is evil, in sincerity, apply. And if we apply those things, um, we understand how to love people and we understand that the love doesn't originate with us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, familiar verses. I have in your notes there, love is, is something different than what the world calls love love will always be what we do it will never be what we feel feelings are part of our design god has feelings jesus wept when he looked over jerusalem and they didn't recognize who he was jesus wept when his dear friend lazarus had died for god's purpose it still hurt jesus that he died so The Bible teaches us that love is actions. It's what we do. If we look at these verses in 1 John 3, first of all, in verse 16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So that sincerity that Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 9 is, first of all, recognize what love is. Love is sacrifice. It costs me to love you and it costs you to love me. So we know what love is because we saw it on the cross. Jesus gave up everything. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich, rich spiritually. So his sacrifice on the cross is the demonstration of love. That's why Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration. That's the example. He laid down his life for us. And John says, since we know what love is, we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That's how the church becomes the church that the gates of hell cannot withstand. So verse 16, verse 17 in 1 John chapter 3 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? James says the same thing. James starts out, can claiming to be saved save you? And then James says, if you see someone who is hungry and in need and you say to them, go and and be well, or you could say, I will pray for you. I'll be concerned for you. James and John are asking the question here, what good does that do them? Pray, yes. Love gives a hungry person food. Love comes alongside a person in their circumstances, in their trial, in their victories. So John is asking the question here. Since we know what love is, if we see someone in need and we, let's say for an example, say, I'm going to pray for you. I am pray that God is going to do something. Question, what is God going to do? He's going to send someone who is there. You are. I am. So John says in the same way Paul is to be sincere in verse 18. He gives us the definition of love. Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Love is always going to be what we do. What I do with my time, my treasures, and my talents in relationship to other people is going to determine the amount of love in my life, the amount of love that is going through me. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in its presence. How do you have peace? How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're in the truth? By loving people. By laying down your life for others, verse 16. By helping someone in need, verse 17. By actions done in truth, not with words and speech. I love you is not a wrong statement, but it's not love. Actions are love according to the Bible. So when the world says love makes the world go round or love is all we need, they're talking about an emotional feeling and an attachment to another person. When God is talking about love, he says when you love them, they'll know it because you sacrificed yourself for them and you met their need and you're on the side of the truth. Jesus says everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Paul says in Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and about verse 10, that love and truth are inseparable. What I say is only true if I do what I say. If I say I love you, James and John say, and I go on with my day not recognizing your need, then that's not love. Turn just back a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is writing about the same things. Living for God is the the heading at the title or the chapter 4 in my Bible. And that's what Paul is talking or Peter is talking about. In verse 7, the end of all things is near. Paul will often talk about the rapture and then he will motivate us to live for Christ. Therefore, be of alert and of sober mind so that you may pray above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins that's power if if you and I love each other and I mess up we'll get through it love covers over a multitude of sins so we know that he we love because he first loved us he loved to set the cross and that covered a multitude of sins but Peter is talking inside the church you can make mistakes it's not okay i'll just make mistakes But if you're loving each other, you'll get through it. Verse 9, Peter says, I lost my place here. Verse 9, offer hospitality to another without grumbling. Sounds like Philippians chapter 2. Paul is going to say the same thing later in Romans chapter 12. Hospitality without grumbling. We're not naturally hospitable. We choose hospitality. And Peter says here that that's love. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. That word just comes up over and over and over again. To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So we've read verses like that over and over again. We read that um, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 that use the faith that God has distributed to each of you to think of yourselves humbly. We read verses like um, he has apportioned grace to each one of us as he has determined in the body of believers. We read verses like he has distributed gifts in relationship to your church. So Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, equips us to do everything that will ever be asked of us. If we submit to Christ, and I talked about this last week, it's, it's not an exhaustive list so that that person has this gift, that person has that gift. It is, as we will see again today, that what I am doing is speaking as to whether the Holy Spirit is at work. So the Holy Spirit looks at a body of believers more as to every need that will ever come up. It would be impossible, the way he has apportioned grace that Peter says we are stewards of, it would be impossible for a church to have a trial that people weren't equipped to meet. So Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 6, why are you bickering and fighting? You're going to judge the angels in the loss one day. Figure this out. Love each other. And Peter is saying the same thing. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, verses 10 through 13, we've already had three commands in verse 9. Now we're going to get 10 more in just a very short period of time. Verse 9 again, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's the overlay of love in this chapter. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love using the example of Christ. Honor one another above yourselves. So he starts with, devote yourselves to one another in love. You don't devote yourselves to one another in talents. You'll use your gifts for each other, but you don't devote yourselves to each other in gifts. You don't use your abilities for that. You use the example of Christ as a, as a sacrifice of love. If we love each other with actions done in truth, rather than words and speech, rather than feelings, then God is able to do all that he wants to do. So, be devoted to one another in love, command. Honor one another above yourselves. I'm not sure if I should be involved in this. I'm not sure if I I should enter this arena. I'm not sure if I should do this in the body. Paul says, think about everyone else. Now answer that question. Be devoted to everyone else. Romans 12, 4, and 5, you belong to each other. So Paul says, be devoted, be positioned, honor one another above yourselves. How it will affect you, my decision, rises above how it will affect me. That's being devoted to one another in love and honoring one another above yourselves. Verse 11, more commands. Next one, never be lacking in zeal. There's going to be days where you're not up to it. There's going to be days where it don't make sense. There's going to be days where the people that God has told you to specifically love aren't very lovable. Never lack zeal, Paul says. The only way that we can obey this command, never lack zeal, is if the reason I'm doing it is for Christ. If I'm doing what I'm doing for Christ, I will be able to never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep pressing on, as Paul will say in Philippians. Don't lack zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep first the kingdom and his righteousness, and God will be in everything you do. And then serving the Lord. Serving is love because love is actions done in truth. It is not a feeling or an emotion. Verse 12, be joyful in hope. That's a command that it seems impossible at times to have joy. It seems I just I have nothing to be happy about. That's okay. I have nothing to make me feel good right now. That's okay. You're not joyful in happiness. You're not joyful in circumstances. You're not joyful in the way people are treating you. You're joyful in hope. Hope is that I know I will meet Jesus. Hope is that I know if I make the right decision here when everything screams no, when I meet Christ, it will matter. It will contribute to my relationship with him in heaven forever. So be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. We will see here in Romans 12, just like Galatians 5, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12, that these are all impossible from me, but they're all possible through me. So I can't keep my zeal without the Holy Spirit. I can't. Be joyful in hope without the Holy Spirit. I can't be faithful in everything I do without the Holy Spirit. So these are fruits of the Spirit. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I hope I'm not the only person in the room that sometimes I feel like praying and sometimes I don't. Pray. Some of the times God will wake me up the loudest when I pray, when it's just, okay, Lord, this is for you that I'm praying because I'm really not in what I'm praying. And then he responds. He responds as if to say, Jim, it was never about you. When you feel like it's about you, it's not. And when you don't, it's not. Pray faithfully. Be faithful in prayer. When you're not sure if you should pray, pray. Verse 13 share with the Lord's people who are in need he talks about in 2nd Corinthians 8 that that's why a believer is given abundance so that they can share it with other believers we see that early in the church practice hospitality we already heard that from Peter now we hear it from Paul so he gives us this list of 10 things and they're all love your neighbor as yourself Love one another is always pointing inside the body of believers. So love your neighbor as yourself is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love one another is a love that is only possible person to person when you know Christ. Because we love because he first loved us. The love that he's telling us to share in hospitality doesn't come from us. And it can't go through us unless the Holy Spirit is in us. And he is only in us when Christ is our Lord. So share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Um, Ephesians 4.13 Truth in love binds a church in unity that cannot be broken. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. If we took... Jesus' teaching to the disciples, we would find most of it in chapter 13 through 19 of the Gospel of John. So all of this is born out of the fact that the disciples don't understand what love is. And even if they understood it, the power to do it as God is calling them isn't in them yet. He will tell us in John chapter 14 that it's with them because they're following Christ. It's with them because they're being obedient to God, but it's not in them. But even the concept, the concept that, that the world that you and I live in has of love is the same concept that the disciples have on the night that Jesus is betrayed. So at the Last Supper, there's, there's one person in the room that knows how to love, it's Jesus. John doesn't know. Peter doesn't know. James doesn't know. They care. They genuinely care about Jesus. They genuinely care about each other. They know that something special is happening, but they don't know what love is. So at the end of John, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Two different Greek words. Agape is... Do you love me without restraint, without any conditions, no matter what? Peter is saying, I love you like you were my brother. Jesus is saying, you don't get it. I'm not talking about brotherly love. I'm talking about, Peter, would you lay down your life for me like I would lay it down for you? So that agape love that is possible through us, they don't understand when they're having the last supper. So Jesus, in John chapter 13, takes off his cloak, wraps it around his waist, gets on his knees, and washes their feet. And Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand. If you're with me, you will let me do this. And in the room, James and John are asking Jesus privately, which one of us gets to sit by you in heaven? And Peter's thinking, I love him more than anyone and I would never deny him. Judas is thinking, he's he's worth loving, He's he's a friend, but what would you pay me to turn him in? And John tells us in John chapter 13 that Satan's also in the room. Satan doesn't say, Jesus isn't good. Satan doesn't say, he doesn't love you. Satan says half-truths. You guys already love each other. You're good just the way you are. You should sit by Jesus in heaven, John. What do you think about that? Peter, I know you would never deny Christ. Remember a few days earlier, Peyton has, or Satan has asked to sift you, Peter. But when you come back, Peter, I want you to be faithful. So in John chapter 13, this is the tension that is in this room, and we pick it up in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He has just washed their feet. He's about to be arrested. He will hang from the cross in payment for their sins, And in the midst of that, he says to them, I have a new command for you. Love one another. And by the way, the standard for your love is me. Love one another the same way that I love you. And at his resurrection, they understood that. At the day of Pentecost, they were enabled to do that. Right now... They're wondering which disciple is the most important when Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are dis- my disciples if you love one another. They don't love one another yet. They phileo one another. They're like a band of brothers. They, they feel good about serving together. They have become close-knit. But Jesus is giving his life for them, and they're not doing that yet. They don't understand that yet. He is teaching them something now that they will understand later. That's what Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. That's what Jesus is doing with these 12 men. They are boys when it comes to understanding love, and he is teaching them that they must be de- they must be devoted to love in each other. And he says, the world will know that you follow me based on your love for each other. How people love each other in church is the message to the world. Um, I listened to a converted Hindu for about an hour, just gained a lot of insight, but one of the things that he was talking about in comparing religions, like if we look at Hindus and we think, well, oh, they don't kill cows and they don't kill mice and they don't th- that's who they are and, and look at their starving or whatever. When other cultures look at America and they watch TV, Christian. So the things that are in the news that are troubling to us, they relate to Christianity. The support for them doing that comes from churches saying, yeah, we just accept whoever you are, whatever you do. Come on in. But that's the perception the world has of a Christian. Jesus says the perception that is true is how you love each other. If you will lay down your lives for the people you serve me with, the world will know that you follow me. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I think Peter believes that's true. Jesus said, answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will d- disown me three times. That would have greatly troubled Peter. Turn to chapter 14, and we pick it up in verse 15. Jesus continues to teach them. If you love me, keep my commands. So in Matthew 7, 12, he tells us that the preeminent command is love one another. In John 13, he says, this is the command going forward. Love one another. Here he says, if you do that, you love me. If you don't, you don't. So we're going to look at, it'll in just a few amount of verses today, we're probably going to look at about 30 or 40 commands, all relating to loving people. Jesus says, number one, people will know that you follow me if you do these things. And here he says, love equates to keeping his commands. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever look at those two verses together this is the gospel Jesus says in verse 15 if you love me you keep my commands and he goes right on to say and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever who is he talking about he's talking about the Holy Spirit How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Keeping his commands. He commands us to confess him as Lord. We sang about that in a song earlier. He is relating keeping commands to salvation. And as I said a few weeks ago, and I think I have in your notes here, instead of the question that we ask, When we look at the Gospels, the question is, who gets to go to heaven? Who is saved? Who's born again? But that's not the question Jesus ever asks. He says, do you obey me? Am I your Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So in Matthew 7, 12, he says, to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, and all the laws of the prophets are hanging on this one command, and then he goes right into the narrow gate, that narrow is the path that leads to heaven, and a few will find it, and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it, and then he goes into a dialogue about true prophets and false prophets, and then he goes into a dialogue about true disciples and false disciples, And then he talks about the wise man building his house. All of that is the gospel. Here he says something that we don't hear today. Loving Jesus means salvation. Keeping his commands means love. So we, because of the Reformation and all of the confusion and all the denominations, we say, who's saved? But the question that Jesus keeps raising is, who's following me? And he says to them, your love for each other will tell the world whether you're following me or not. Here he says, your obedience to me will tell me whether you love me or not. And if you do love me, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, Definition of love by John the Apostle, he's speaking for Jesus. It's not with words and speech. It's with actions done in truth. Jesus simply says, you love me, you obey me. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you forever. It's not works. It's obedience. Verse 16 And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, truth and love, cannot be separated. The world cannot accept him, the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So in John 7, 38 and 39, he stood up at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he says, Whoever believes in me will have streams of living water flowing through them. John in the next verse says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit, who he would give to people after he was glorified. He's saying the exact same thing here in chapter 7. The Holy Spirit's with you now because you're following me. But he'll be in you when I raise from the dead. They don't understand this, but Paul says, when we hear the truth, I confess you as Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Then we are marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, who promises and guarantees everything after that. So Jesus is preaching that before Paul when he says he lives in you, with you, and he will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, And I, too, will love them and show them to myself. So he's saying this multiple times in here. Whoever loves me, whoever whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. When you go from there and you jump right into Romans 8.28, it makes sense. Because we hear that verse, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we translate that, God makes everything work out good. It's not what it says. It says that the one who loves him, the one who obeys him, John 14, the one who keeps his commands, he has them, he keeps them, he does what Jesus says, that's the one who loves him. Then it makes sense. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who Love him. 100% of the time, Jesus equates love to obedience. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who obey Christ. His purpose. When I lay down my life for Christ because he laid down his life for me, and I do that by laying it down for you, then in all things, he works for the good. And the next verse says that the primary good is he will make me like Christ. John chapter 15. He just continues this dialogue. Verse 9 of John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How do I remain in your love, Jesus? Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, this is the only way to receive joy according to the Bible, is to to remain in the love of Christ by keeping his commands. And joy is so big and it is so powerful. Be joyful always. Be joyful in hope. It doesn't make sense to the world that life It's hard, that this is difficult, that you don't understand what I've been through. Yeah, but none of those things are the reason I have joy. I have joy because it's in me and I know it's there. And the reason it's in me and I know it's there is because I obeyed Christ and he put it in me. How much joy will Christ put in you if you obey him? Verse 10 again. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Look at verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you obey Christ continuously, you will have the the maximum amount of joy possible. You will have joy when sorrow is visible. You will have joy when happiness is hard to find. You will have joy because you're following Jesus. And he will put it in you. Look what joy he puts in me. Jesus says, I will take my joy and I will put it in you. How powerful is Jesus' joy? He approached the cross with joy. Think of what that says. I'm facing the darkest moment that any being will ever face in joy. Jesus says, I'll take that joy and I'll put it in you and I'll make your joy complete if you will remain in me by keeping my commands. It's not an exchange, it's a reality. Reading on verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He summarizes again, keep my commands, my commands, my command. Then he says, my command is love each other just as I have loved you. Ephesians 4.32, verse Thirteen, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Why did he call us to be saved? No, he called us to bear fruit, that we would not live for ourselves, that we would live for him. He would give us joy. He would give us peace. He would give us patience. He would give us kindness. He would give us goodness. He would give us strength. He would give us all that is in him if we will serve him, if we will follow him. We ask the question, what do I have to do? Jesus says, wrong question. Follow me, and I will give you everything. The question isn't, what do I have to do? It is, how can I respond to the love of Christ? And so whatever, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. When my life is fully devoted to Christ, and there has been what Paul calls a reliability, I've established that. It's not something that was on the table today and it might be on, off the table tomorrow. Once I've established that, once I have a relationship with God that is close enough, Romans 8.26 says, Then the Holy Spirit has use of the power that he's always had in me so that when I go to God in prayer from that place, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If I obey him faithfully, what happens is there's something that needs to be done on earth. I'm going to put it in his mind. And he prays, and that work is accomplished. We, We have this idea that if I pray hard enough, he'll do what I'm asking. Jesus says, if you follow me close enough, I'll give you whatever you ask for because you will be like me in thought. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I heard someone say in a podcast this week that the world who says God doesn't exist reads his chapter of love in their weddings. Um, and that's kind of true. This was read in my wedding. It's read in a lot of weddings. But in the context of what is happening in 1 Corinthians 13 is everything we're talking about in Romans 12. So it begins at the, the beginning of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, now about the gifts of the Spirit, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And he starts explaining how the, the gifts are distributed, that he places each person in an exact place, in an exact church for his purposes. Your gifts are for me, mine are for you. He comes to the end of chapter 12 and he says in verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. He would describe that later in chapter 14 as prophecy, as teaching the word of God. And he comes into chapter 13 and we think, okay, here's the love chapter in the Bible. He's talking about everything he's talking about in Romans 12. So we could study this chapter every week for a year and and add more perspective to what it's saying here. But what I want us to look at today is three sections of this. And we will look at the first section, verse 1 through verse 3. Let's read that first. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. So if we carried this into Romans chapter 12, be a living sacrifice. Be sacrificial. Without love, meaningless. Renew your mind. Know the scriptures. Without love, doesn't matter. I have the gifts of knowledge, and I have this incredible faith that can move mountains. What have I gained without love? Nothing. So if we look at our progression in Romans chapter 12, living sacrifice, yes. Renew your mind, yes. Humility, yes. You belong to each other, yes. Love each other, throw it all out. Throw it away. It doesn't matter. So in this first section, Paul is telling us from the first person that it is the individual with choice. You could look at this as a lost person, or you could look at this as a saved person who doesn't love, and I don't know if that's possible. So you look at the pronoun all the way through. It's I, 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 I. If I have this and I don't love, resounding gong, just making noise. If I have this and I don't have love, it's meaningless. If I can do this, this, and this, but I don't have love, I've gained nothing. So the first person, I, in the first three verses, is saying that you can't do any of this. Only the Holy Spirit can. So the laying down your life is the picture that you have to understand. Because if I lay down my life, I don't even i'm not real educated to what i do or how i do it but i'm laying down my life for believers in my church then the holy spirit does the work does the fruit so the first three verses are paul in the eye perspective verse 4 through verse 7 is one of two things as we read this i will say verses 4 through 7 is christ so A student is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So when we read verses 4 through 7, we see Christ, Christ, Christ. He said earlier in the Gospel of John that I will be in you. How is Christ in me? Huh? He's in me through obedience, but how is he in me? He is in me through the Holy Spirit. The person of the Godhead who resides in me is the Holy Spirit. And Christ is residing in me through him. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control is from the Holy Spirit as far as we are concerned. But it's actually from who? Christ. Because the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, will never speak on his own. His weapon is the sword, which is the Word of God, which is, as we heard in the opening this morning, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who? Jesus. The Word of God is from Jesus. The Holy Spirit uses that word, and he empowers me to obey God. So think of Christ in verse 4. I'm not changing scripture. It says love is patient, but I want to read it a different way. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. Christ does not envy. He does not boast. He isn't proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now let's read it the way it's written which is referring to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that we read about in John, who will be in you if you obey Christ. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's only one person who perfectly lived this and that's Christ. Every person who follows Christ can live this. The power is there. So these verses here are Paul's. Fruit from the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. So the fruit from the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control in Galatians. Here he is saying this is also fruit from the Spirit. It is patience, kindness. It is not being easily angered. It's I have forgiven you of that, which means I can still remember, but there's no record of it. I'm not going to... Bring it back to the surface the next time that you hurt my feelings again. If you repent and I forgive you, I'm not keeping a record of it. I kind of am drawn more to what you do in church than me, but I'm not going to envy you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be dishonoring you by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are attributes of Christ that are possible in a believer. Only if a believer is obedient to Christ. So we have Paul telling us in the first three verses, individually, it's impossible to please God. Even a professing believer. Verses 4 through 7, this is what the Holy Spirit can do through you. You can rejoice in the truth. You can always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere if you follow Christ. The third section here is is a variety of things, but it's primarily focused on the rapture, focused on you're going to meet Christ. So verse 8 goes with the, the first statement there, love never fails. Wait a minute, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus opened the door for everything. The greatest victory ever known is Jesus rising from the dead. And that wasn't failure. So love never fails. It can seem like it, it can look like it. Look what happened to me when I loved that person. It never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Prophecy is the primary gift to be sought after now. So Paul, Christ Church of Mendota, when will prophecy cease? Or maybe a better question, When will all spiritual gifts cease at the rapture? So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Who hopes for what they already have? We hope by faith in Christ and in love, but faith and hope will disappear at the rapture. Reading on. Verse 8 again, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, another gift or fruit of the Holy Spirit, they will be stilled. No one's going to speak in tongues in heaven. It was primarily just the first generation to begin with. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, we understand as best we can and he helps us understand. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Completeness is the rapture. When I am clothed with my immortal, eternal body in the presence of an eternal God, the things that I kind of understand now, I will understand clearly. It will be complete. My knowledge and ability to understand, ears to hear will understand everything. Verse 10, when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear or disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of a child behind me. So he's using language here that is read in weddings, but he's referring to the opening verses in this chapter if i can do this but i don't love means nothing if, if i can do this but it, i don't love it means nothing if i can do all these things be a living sacrifice i'll i'll, I'll lay my life down I'll, I'll i'll do all the deeds that i need to do but i'm not loving people i've gained nothing that's paul as a child that's paul not realizing that's you know if you think about the conversion of the the apostle paul he would have heard sermons by Jesus. He probably heard Peter and John speak. He heard certainly Timot or Timothy, Stephen speak. He heard the gospel probably many times. And when Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, it wasn't like there's new information. It was like it's me. And Paul put everything together. He knew the Bible. He knew what it said. He knew about the hope of the Messiah. He believed in the resurrection of the dead as a Pharisee. He knew that there would be a resurrection in the future for people who followed God, but none of the Jews understood that there would be a resurrection between now and then that would secure everything. So when Paul realized that the Resurrector is speaking to him, all the scriptures fell in place. And Paul says, I was like a child before. I knew things kind of, sort of. I knew what the language was. I knew what the verses said. I could quote the scriptures. I knew about the resurrection. But Jesus? I didn't know. So then, when he comes to know Jesus... Verse 12, for now we see in part a reflection as a mirror, then we shall see face to face. He's talking about when we see him in person in the future. So in verse 11, he talks about this conversion. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me, counted everything a loss, Philippians 3, 7. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. When, Paul, at the rapture. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. How extensive is that? I will know to the extent that Jesus knows me now. That's No need for knowledge anymore. I will know even as I am fully known. I will know truth the way that Jesus knows it. He knows Paul better than Paul knows Paul. And Paul will know like that at the rapture even as he is fully known. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The only eternal aspect of those three is love because when I am fully known, love is there, faith is gone, hope is gone. When I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ, love is there forever. It's not leaving, it's not moving. I will love in perfection then. I will understand love in perfection then. Now I'm learning to understand. And he says the greatest of these is love. So love either encompasses everything I do or I'm not God's. He said in John chapter 15, this is my command. Love each other just as I have loved you. That's all we really need to know. And then God does the work. Then in verse 1 of chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So if I follow the way of prophecy without love, neither are a reality. But if I follow in love, then God will do the rest. I don't understand all the scriptures. None of us do. I just feel like I'm just beginning to understand them. That's God's ready to work right there. When I get comfortable around the people that I go to church with, then I'll start to love. God says, that's when I'll start too. If you love people... On behalf of Christ, that's all you really need to know. He will teach us. He will show us. He will give us the supernatural aspects of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to learn to love each other. I'm not good enough at loving people, and I ask for your help. I ask that the things that I know to be true, the response of you putting complete joy in me. I know that's true. I know that I'm expected to love people the way that Christ loves people. Um, help me to do that in Jesus' name, amen.